Good morning. Uh, as some of you know, a few months ago, I had the privilege of going to a general assembly in Turkey. And after uh, my time in Turkey, um, I spent about uh, almost two weeks, 12 days in Israel, and I could probably dare say it was probably the most, like the 12 days that impacted me uh, the most in my life. We were led by uh, three gentlemen, Mark Francisco, Cam Huth, and a local interesting Jewish uh, guide there. And the ministry uh, that they lead is called Fifth Gospel Encounter, Encounters. And their, their belief is that the, the land of Israel is like a fifth gospel. because It tells so much about God and about the culture. And this is why these people, they, they lead uh, people from all over Canada twice a year uh, to go there. So not merely to tour Israel, but to teach uh, people about God in the very uh, place that were significant in the Bible. So today I'd like to share some of the things that I've learned while I was in Israel. And it, it won't necessarily be a, a slideshow presentation because I don't think uh, that will be effective. But I want to uh, teach you and share with you some of the lessons that I've learned that have impacted my life. One of the uh, main things that we've learned while we're there is the image of God as a shepherd. That God, uh, throughout the Jewish culture and throughout the Bible, uh, presents himself as a shepherd. Out of, of all the images that he could have used, he chose to identify himself with the, uh, the lowest of the lowest. You see, uh, in the Jewish culture, uh, shepherds are little kids. They're not like grown men. Grown men are, are, are not shepherds. Uh, it's little kids, uh, hence, you know, when you, you read the story of, of David, all his brothers were uh, out in the battle, and, you know, where's that little kid? Oh, yeah, he's with the sheep. No, he's just doing those little things. So it's, it's little kids uh, that are shepherds. The, uh, the, the shepherd, their, their testimony was not even valid in court. So uh, shepherds were either kids or uh, women. Here, uh, as you can see, there's a flock there, and a Bedouin woman. There was a, we've seen some Bedouin Arabs, and uh, the lady in black on the far left there is a Bedouin woman. And when we were there, I asked, uh, I asked our, our tour guide, hey, uh, can I go and just kind of say hi to her, take a, a picture with her and, and a sheep? And he said, if you go and talk to her, you will die. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I was just saying hi to the girl, you know, take it easy, buddy. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. You see, this lady is dressed in black. Because black is the only color that you don't see in the desert. Therefore, when her husband is looking for her, he's going to look out and he see a black spot, there's my wife. And if he sees a man talking to her, he will make sure to kill that man. And if he doesn't do it, his kids will make sure that you are dead. So needless to say that I didn't get too close from that woman. You know, I just kind of snapped a picture from afar, kind of waved, and we kind of went on our way. See, um... While we were there, uh, one of the things that we realized is that we serve a God who's great, a God who's amazing, God who's huge, who is sovereign, who uh, is, is over everything. As we've just read in Colossians, he is in everything, he's sovereign over everything. Yet, he chooses uh, to associate himself with the lowest, the, the disenfranchised, the, the shepherd. See, uh, when you read in Psalm 23, the Bible tells, uh, tells us that the, God is our, the Lord is my shepherd. shepherd. When God used to, uh, when God uh, appeared in human form uh, through Jesus, who was the first people that the angel announced that message to? To the, yeah. And Jesus, in, in, in John chapter ten, he says, "I am the good shepherd." So, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter ten. Uh, we'll read verse ten and eleven. John chapter ten, uh, verse. 10 and 11. We'll spend a little bit of time there as we'll talk about how to find life. How to find life. 
John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. Jesus says this, The thief comes to only steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. How do you find this life that Jesus is talking about? How do you get that life that Jesus is talking about? See, in the Jewish mindset, when Jesus would have said that I am the good shepherd, their mind would automatically go to Ezekiel chapter 34. You see, they have such a knowledge of God's word that when they see things that are referred to, their mind will automatically go to these verses. Ezekiel chapter 34, God challenges the shepherds of Israel because they didn't care about their flocks. They only cared about themselves. And in John chapter 10, you have uh, the, the, uh, the Pharisees. There's a blind man in John chapter 10 that has just been healed. But the Pharisees don't care. They're supposed to be the shepherd of, of Israel. They're supposed to, to care for their flock. But they don't care. All they want to know is, how come this guy is healed? And who would sin? And, and all that kind of stuff. So they don't care. So Jesus is picking on that term. And saying, I am the good shepherd. Because in Ezekiel chapter 34, when they didn't care about... Um, uh, the, the, the shepherds didn't care... Uh, God says this, he says in Ezekiel 34 verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. So how you find this life is by staying close to your shepherd. By staying close to your shepherd. You see, sheep only lie down when they're full. So part of what Jesus is saying here is, you know, I will give you this life to the fullest that you will just be full and that you will lie down and rest. See, we started our our journey uh, in Israel uh, by being in the desert. We spent about three or four days in the desert. Then we moved uh, up north to the Sea of Galilee and we spent some time there in in, uh, different spots that Jesus hung out. And then we ended our journey in Jerusalem. When people ask me, now what was your best part about Israel? By far, it was the desert. Because it was just a, a nice place to, it was quiet, it was no noise, no cars, no, it was just nice and quiet. It was a, an amazing place where we could connect with God. And as we were in the desert, like we saw sheep all over the place. And one thing that's for sure is every time we saw a flock, there was always a shepherd amongst them. And when they were moving, the shepherd was leading. He was walking. As you can see in this picture, this flock would follow him. And one way to, to find us again is by staying close to the shepherd. Because they knew, as sheep, they know that their lives de- fully depend on the shepherd. And where does where the shepherd hang out? Where the sheep uh, and shepherd hang out? In the desert. And by the way, this picture here. Our guide was told us that this is as green as it gets. They've never seen it so green. And this is what it is right there. See, when we think of desert, when we talk about our desert experience, what do we, what do we mean by that? We say, you know, I'm going through a desert experience. What do we usually mean by that? Talk to me. Oh, so hold on, one at a time. Go ahead. Barren, yeah. Dry. Send, yeah. What's that? Desperate for water. Thank you. Oh, you, are you, were you here last night, girl? Because we're going to talk about that in just a second. Desperate for water. What else? Lonely? Yeah, totally. Those are the, the things that we think about when we talk about our desert experience. Yet from a biblical perspective in the Jewish culture, the desert is the place to be because this is where you realize that God is all you need and God will meet all your needs. 
See, when a sheep is in the desert, um, it is totally dependent on the shepherd to find green pastures. See, and when we think of green pastures, this is what we think about. Right, like thick grass and green and all over the place, and you know, kind of the, the sheep kind of you know bouncing around and all that kind of stuff. This is what we think about. Yet when we were in the desert, this is what the desert actually looked like. And I remember putting up my hand because I was kind of puzzled. I said, you know, like why would um, a shepherd lead his sheep right here? There's actually like no food. Like look at that, it's all barren. And honestly, a rabbi looked at me as if I had like a knot in my forehead. And he's like, are you crazy? He's like, look at this. Don't you see that little pocket there? That is green pastures. And the shepherd know where the green pastures are. Sheep may not know it, but sheep doesn't care. Because the sheep knows that all he has to do is to follow the shepherd. And the shepherd will lead you in green pastures. This is why we can find life by staying close to our shepherd as he will lead us in green pastures. And as he leads us, he will give us enough for the day. He will give us strength for the day. And I told us, you know, that there's no such thing as a fat sheep because they have enough for the day. And when they have enough, they lie down. And as we stay close to a shepherd, we realize that he will give us all that we need and we are fully dependent on who he is. You see, now we live in cities and we have grocery stores and all that kind of stuff and we could almost, actually, we don't even need God. We could easily go through life without depending on God. Yet when God led the people of Israel through the desert in Deuteronomy verse 8, he says, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, no, I've led you there so I could humble you to see what's in your heart and so that you could realize that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of my mouth. See, where do you hear God's voice the most? In the desert. See, I remember about um, seven years ago, I went through uh, somewhat of one of those desert experiences. I was here doing junior high ministry, which I was loving. I was totally enjoying myself. And Andre, who uh, is now, well, was at the time at Upper Room uh, Community Church, our, our church plant, has, has told me, Stevens, you know, I'm going away. I want you to take over this youth ministry. And my immediate response was, thank you. I appreciate it, but no thank you. I'm fine with my junior high. I love my students, and I'm having a great time. Yet he told me to pray about it. So I went away uh, to a, a nice little kingdom that I, I enjoyed going to and spent a few days there. And the uh, only thing I brought was my Bible and my journal. And during those time, I, I read and I read my journal and I read my Bible. I wrestled with God and asked him some questions. And God spoke to me very clearly. To Stevens, don't be afraid. I am with you. Do the work. I was reading the book of Isaiah at the time. And he, over and over, God told him, don't be afraid. I am with you. And it's because I heard God's voice that I'm here today and I'm still doing youth ministry that I'm enjoying. See, the, the desert is not always comfortable. And we, always, we often ask God to take us out of the desert. Yet, geographically, 60 to 70% of God's, of God's promised land is made out of desert. Is there any wonder that as God leads us, God is our good shepherd, He leads us, that He might lead us through the desert? It's not abnormal to be there. And biblically speaking, the desert is the place that the, the shepherd will go and take care of their flocks. When you go in the desert, when you are in a desert experience, you're there to be shepherded by God. 
You don't intentionally go there, but as your shepherd leads you there, you know that he cares for you, he loves you, and he, will, he knows you by name. You see, shepherds knew their flocks, but their sheep by name. They don't call, hey, sheep number four and number five, you can, no, no, they knew them by name. And as they called them out by name, they would fall, and they cared for them by individually. And the job of the sheep is, again, is to stay close as possible to the shepherd and to follow him. You see, um, sheep follow. Goats don't. Goats will kind of scramble and wander all over the place. Sheep will follow. And I'm not sure what your desert experience looks like this morning. Maybe you can't find a job and you've been uh, dying to get a job. Or maybe you're in a job that you hate and you want to get out of that job. Maybe like uh, Sister Bodhi, you've actually lost a loved one, a loved one. Maybe like Pastor Allen, you're going through some sort of physical illness. I mean, he's been in for the, for the past four years. But my prayer is that you will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is with you, that he cares for you, that as you were in that desert, that your good shepherd wants to provide for all of your needs. Therefore, unlike goats, stay close to him, follow him, and listen to his voice. The reality is, like, when we're in the desert, it's not always safe. Desert is, is fairly dangerous. And many people actually die in the desert. And if I were to ask you, what do you think is the primary cause of death in the desert? What do you think it is? Be quiet. What's that? I can bear, lack of water. Okay. Heat exhaustion. Good call. Anything else? A little bit louder. Come on, I can hear it. Getting lost. Yes. Yeah. Snakes and scorpions, sure. Well, let me tell you. Nice effort, by the way. Good job. But you're all wrong. The um, primarily uh, cause of death in the desert is actually drowning. It's drowning. See, the, the desert mountains are, are made out of limestone. And this limestone cannot hold water. So when it rains, the water comes out of the rock and it goes straight into the wadis or, or valleys. And if you find yourself in there when it rains, you will be swept away like there's no tomorrow. And this is a, a picture of what um, those floods did to a tree when we were there. See, the tree is all bent down, not because somebody pushed it, but no, it's the only water that has put so much pressure on that tree that it, um, it was totally uh, crooked. See, one of the spots that we're supposed to visit when we're in Israel is in Gedi. And this is where uh, David fled when Saul was running after him. And David, you know, kind of cut the, the hem of his robe and all that kind of stuff. And we're supposed to go there. But the night before, it had rained. And they told us that it wasn't safe. That if we were going to go there, there's big uh, chance that we were going to be swept away by all those floods that were in those little valleys. And after those, a flood come through. Sometimes it's a pool of water that stays. And sheep... You know, they, they're thirsty. They're in the desert, they're thirsty. So they might think that, you know, this is uh, good water to drink. So they might be tempted to go there. But a good shepherd knows that these waters are not safe. These are not the, the quiet waters that um, uh, David talks about in Psalm 23. He knows where to find fresh and good water. Which leads me to the second point. The second way to, to find life is by allowing your shepherd to guide you by living waters. Allowing your shepherd to guide you by living waters. When we were in Israel, we saw those uh, creatures called ibis, like little deers. And these uh, little creatures, I mean, they're b- fairly big. They're, they're, they're thirsty when in the desert. They're, they're looking for water and they're thirsty and you can hear them panting from far, far, far away. 
And this is probably what David had in mind when he says in Psalm, 40, Psalm 42, As the deer pants for a flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Notice that the deer is panting, panting for, for flowing streams. The Hebrews call this Maim Chaim. Repeat after me. Maim Chaim. Oh, you have to like that. Maim Chaim. All right, okay, easy now. I guess it's spitting on easy. Okay? But Maim Chaim, this is living water. It's, it's water that is not uh, pale, water that is not carried. It's, it's water that's coming from, from springs. And they thought uh, as this water, as, as running water, as living water, as opposed to water that's still, and that what they would call dead water, hence the Dead Sea, water that is not flowing, that's water that is just as still. And when you're in the desert, you're in desperate need for Maim Chaim. See, when our, 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 our rabbi led a group uh, before us, and as he was teaching that in the desert, some guy was totally lost in a walk and kind of overheard what, we were, what, what he was talking about. And he asked, and he speak, and he said, you know what, today I was lost. I've spent my whole day, somebody said that, you know, one way to die in the desert is being lost. He's like, I was near for the whole day and I don't know where I'm going. And if it wasn't for this war that right here, I would probably have died today. And in the same way that on, on a hot summer day, that there's water that can refresh the body. When we are in our desert experience, there's mind that can refresh our souls. God wants to lead us by streams of living water. That will refresh our soul. And, and, and this, the, the streams of living water is, is a picture of God himself and a dynamic relationship that we can have with him. See, Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie, in, lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still water. He leads me beside my high. And when we're there by this living water, as we commune with God, he refreshes our soul. Because that's what we need. When we're in the midst of our desert experience, we, we desperately need a significance. We desperately need for our souls to be refreshed. And this is what God wants to do as he leads us closer to himself. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I'm in my desert experience, I'm tempted to find life elsewhere. Although I know that um, the, the shepherd knows which, water is, which waters are safe for me to drink, I go and try to find life apart from God, which is my second point. I try to find life apart from God. And trying to find waters to quench my thirst by myself. And this is what Jeremiah had in mind. In Jeremiah 2.13, when he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hooed or dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, the, the first thing that I'm trying to do is forsake God, the source of living water. See, although our, our desert experiences are, are meant to draw us closer to God, sometimes we, we kind of wander away and we, we wander slowly but surely and kind of lose sight of Him, and next thing you know, we act as if He wasn't there. 
You know, not too long ago, I was in a situation like this where I knew that I was like in desperate need for mom Chaim, but I was just dug out my own sister. I kept myself busy. Um, I was doing my own things. I was, um, you know, almost living apart from God. And although I knew what it feels like to, to, to taste that living water, to be in my office and to blast worship music and to, to be in the communion with God and to sing on top of my lungs and to read His Word and to be refreshed by His Word, I chose to forsake God, the source of living. Not only that, I dug out a cistern for myself, just like the people of Israel. You see, Palestine has three a source of water, three main sources of water. The one is Maim Haim, so living water, waters that come from the stream. The second source is water that comes from the ground, is well water. And the third source is cisterns. See, cisterns look like this. From the outside, it doesn't look like uh, much, it's just like a hole in the ground. But when you get inside, it's huge. Right? Like, here's like, there was 30 of us, and as you can see from that picture, there was like tons of room for many more people. That was just one part of those cisterns. But what kind of water do you think is in those cisterns? So you have people that are, you know, throwing their bath water and their toilet water out on the street, and you've got like uh, dogs and other animals doing their, their, their doo-doo in, in the streets and all that kind of stuff, and then next thing you know, it rains, and all the water gets washed away where? In cisterns. So, needless to say, that waters from cisterns is not safe to begin with. But Jeremiah, Jeremiah is making actually a, a point here. He's saying that you've dug out broken cisterns, cisterns that cannot hold any water. So all the water is gone from the cisterns. So what do you think is left in those cisterns? Well, let's ask Jeremiah, because Jeremiah wasn't a cistern. For preaching God's word in Jeremiah 38 uh, verse 6, it says this. So, so they took Jeremiah, cast him in the cistern of Malchia. There was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. And I think it's safe to say that there wasn't only mud. Okay? Mud was not the only brown stuff that was in that cistern. Okay? So Jeremiah is making a powerful point. What he's saying is this. All the things that we create for ourselves to try to find life in, whether it's uh, toys or gadgets or new cars or new boyfriends or, or illicit sex or drugs or alcohol. I mean, last week, Pastor Sunday talked about how we try to, to hoard things for ourselves, things that we try to keep, whether it's making money or, or security that we're uh, trying to find in all of these things, whether it's a, it's a Facebook account that, you know, we just want to see who's there and all kinds of stuff, trying to find life. All those things that we create for ourselves are like, mud and I'm being nicer by saying mud you know what I really mean compared to this living water that God wants to give us see all those waters they make us sick if anything they're like they're dead waters you see we had uh, an opportunity to go to the Dead Sea and although the Dead Sea is pretty cool because you can like float on the water and all that kind of stuff but that is the saltiest sea ever I mean I was in there I mistakenly opened my eyes and my eyes stung for the rest of that five minutes because I was lucky that a lady had like a, some eye drops. I guess she had been there before. She had some eye drops. You know, she passed them in and I was fine. But it's such a salty water. And salty water never quenches your thirst. It keeps you wanting for more. I love the quote that, John, uh, that Pastor Sunday had in the um, study guide last week from John Artbert talking about... Uh, 
our broken sister or our um, stuff that we're trying to find life in. He says this. This is what he says about Happy Meals. The problem with Happy Meal is that the Happy Meals wears off and they need a new fix. And if you have a kid, you know that's true. They might need a new fix. They might need a new story that comes with the Happy Meal and all that kind of stuff. No child discover lasting happiness in just one. When you get older, you don't get any smarter. Your Happy Meal or should I say your broken cistern just get more expensive. You're always looking for a new fix, for something to fix that void inside. And daily, I need to resist the temptation to substitute living water for broken cisterns. And let me share some of my broken cisterns. Some of my broken cisterns are, are sports. I love playing sports, hockey, soccer, ultimate physics. I love doing those kind of things. And sometimes when I'm feeling down, I'm feeling, you know, sports will give me a good kick. As you go out there, you have a good sweat, and it's just fun, and you just get a new sense of, ha ah, after you're doing that. Sometimes ministry can do that to you, because you're involved in people's life, and you see some life happening, but you're not connecting with God, but you see it happening, and you get a kick out of that. It can be something that's meaningless at an email account. You know, you kind of check your email regularly just to see if somebody has, has emailed, just to get a sense of, like, you know, excitement or something. In John chapter 4, the Bible talks to us about a lady who had broken cisterns. And for her, it was boys. The Bible tells us that she's had five husbands, actually six of the one that she was with right now was not her husband. She's had like man after man after man after man trying to feel that loneliness, that brokenness, that void on the inside. So she goes to the community well. In the middle of the day where there's usually nobody, because she doesn't want to be seen by anybody, because she knows that she's being seen as, you know, that, that little blankety-blank of the town. So she goes there in the middle of the day, trying to get some water. Little does she know that she's about to encounter Christ, who wants to give her living water. And there at the well, Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Welling up to mine. And this is what Jesus wanted to give her. But every time we go after those broken cisterns, we miss out on an opportunity to experience the living God. And maybe uh, some of you are here today. You want to experience this mime high. You want to experience, you want to come into contact with God. And maybe like that uh, Samaritan woman is saying, Sir, give me of that water so that I will not be thirsty anymore. Well, let me lead you in a prayer. And if this is your desire, that you want to be in a, in a loving relationship with God, please repeat it after me. Say, Father, I've come before you and I'm in desperate need for you. I confess all my sins, confess that I've tried to find life apart from you right now. And I want to taste you, the source of living water. Come into my life and change every aspect of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you've said that prayer, I mean, that prayer in of itself may not mean much. But after the service, please come and talk to me. Come and talk to Pastor Sam as we want to help you and lead you in this way. To find life in Jesus. For some, uh, for some others, maybe you're a believer. And you know what it feels like to have your, 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 your soul completely like, filled with all of who God is, with living water, yet you've dug out broken cistern. Well, what do you look for? What are your broken cisterns? What are the things that you look for to give you a quick fix?
Think about it. As you came into the service, you had toilet paper in your seat. Actually, grab the piece of toilet paper and just keep it in your hand as you think about what are some of your broken cisterns. I don't want to end by sharing a, a confessional exercise that we did by the Mediterranean Sea. My prayer is that this exercise and this exercise of confession will help you to forsake your broken cistern. To forsake your broken cisterns. See, although uh, living water can be uh, a symbol of, of God, water can be a symbol of God, water is also a symbol of the abyss. And this, uh, for the Jewish uh, people, this is where sin goes. It goes into the abyss. Hence why, when Jesus was walking in the water, and you know, this, his disciples were in the boat, they saw him coming, they thought he was a ghost, because they thought he came from the abyss. And maybe part of the point that Jesus is making is, no, 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 you know what, I am superior, I am sovereign over everything, even over what the, these waters represent. In any case, during Rosh Hashanah, which is the uh, Jewish New Year's, the Jewish people would uh, go by the water and practice what is called as tashlik, which means casting off. What they would do is um, they would pick up a rock, just a rock like this one, or bread for that matter, that would represent different sins in their lives. Then they'd take that rock and they'd put it in their pockets. And for half the day they'd walk around with their pockets um, filled up with certain rocks. And then they would talk about these rocks and what they represent and how these are broken systems and how these affect their lives. And then you ask yourself the question, do I want this rock in my life? Do I want this broken cistern in my life? Do I want this uh, sin in my life? And if the answer is no, they would read uh, from Micah 7, verse 18 to 19, which says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. So they would take this rock and actually throw it as far as they could. And symbolically, that would display their sins being gone and being swept away. They would that during the new year, during the new year, hoping to, to, to start the new year with um, a, a clean slate. And for the rest of the day, they would walk around with their pockets inside out. Because they didn't want any residual sins in their lives. So they would make sure there was nothing in there. Upon returning from our time in Israel, we led a group of students to... Um, a retreat, a spiritual disciplines, and we did something similar. And I invite uh, Nathan Henderson to share with us what was his experience as we did something like that. Come on, Nathan. Okay, it works. All right. Okay, so yeah, a, a couple of months ago, Sue and Stevens and also Andrew D. Bartolo, uh, they took us to a, a small campground that was south of Toronto, and it was for something called a spiritual disciplines retreat. It was like a place where we could spend um, some quality time with God, learn to spend quiet time with Him away from all the noise and hustle and bustle of the city and stuff, and um, spend time in His Word and learn new ways of worshiping Him. It was a really, really different retreat from anything that I've, that I've ever been to before. It was a lot smaller. There was a lot less of us. It was also a lot less accessible than a lot of other retreats are, which was really good because it was something different and something deeper with God. 
Um, and there's a particular exercise that stuck out to me in particular. Um, Stevens brought us to a waterfall on the Bruce Trail, and at the beginning of our hike to the waterfall, he all he gave us all a piece of bread that we could stick in our pockets. And needless to say, that I don't think pockets are meant for big pieces of bread. We looked like we had uh, big groats on us walking walking along. And so, but then he told us to um, think of that bread and to think of all the thing, things in our lives that keep us away from God, from being close to Him, um, all the sin, all the guilt, and all the shame, all the vices, vices like the broken cisterns that Stevens was talking about, all things that keep us from being close to Him. He told us to concentrate all of it into that piece of bread and um, to think about it in our hand, like that piece of bread was all that stuff. And it really helped that you could really smush that bread in your hand because it was like you were crushing all of that stuff with the power that Jesus gave us on the cross. And then we were told when we came to the waterfall, the the waterfall was really amazing. Uh, it really showed the power of God and His creation. Um, we were told to drop the pieces of, of, of our bread into the river and to watch it float away. And uh, it was like you let go of, of all these things. And it was a visual symbol of what Jesus did for us and the grace that God gave us when He died for us. And um, even though that bread was just bread, um, it was something that I could feel and crush and throw away. And so that, that bread has been washed down the river. And it's a symbol that there's nothing that can't be moved between me and God. Thanks, brother. You see, unfortunately, we have a very few visual symbols that can uh, depict how our good shepherd actually laid down his life. And by laying down his life, how he uh, died and crushed a sin. And as he did so, he satisfied God's wrath and took away all our sins. Therefore, we do not have to dig out broken cisterns anymore. We do not have to run to muddy waters anymore. We could come to him and tell him that we've messed up and experienced the fullness of who God is by walking closely to our shepherd. See, each of you, like I was saying earlier on, has been uh, given a, a piece of, of toilet paper. And as you uh, go out of here uh, this week, if it's your desire actually to, 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 to forsake your broken cistern, and to walk closely to shepherd and to, to find life in him. As you go home, or as you actually get out of the sanctuary, go into a toilet and actually flush it down. Flush it down and let that be a visual reminder of how God wants to take away your sins. See, when we were in, in the desert um, and we, we actually did this exercise, I picked up a rock and I was about to throw it and I kind of looked at the rock and said, wow, that's a really nice rock. You know, and I actually wanted to keep that rock. It's like a really nice one. Right? And often that's how sin is in our lives. That we, we want to throw it away, but, you know, it looks good. And sometimes it tastes good, so we want to keep it for ourselves. So my prayer is that you will cast that away. And at the end of the service, if you want some help, there will be prayer counselors that will be up here that will want to pray with you and to help you in this decision that you will want to make. My prayer is that as you forsake your broken cistern, that you will walk closely to your shepherd as he leads you by streams of living water so that you may find life and life to the full. Let us pray. Jesus, I, I thank you that you are an amazingly good shepherd who wants to walk with us and to lead us. 
And I pray, Jesus, that you will open our eyes so that we will see all our broken systems right in front of us. And that we'll realize that they are like mud compared to the amazing, refreshing water that you want to give us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One time when we were in the desert, uh, he led us uh, through. And we were walking in there for about like two or three hours. And it was hot and we were uh, tired and we were like exhausted. Part of us actually wanted to quit and get back to our hotel. Yet at one point, he led us by a stream of living water. And you know, some of us, we, we got there, we kind of you know, like dipped our hands in it, and it was all nice and so and refreshing and everything. And our, our, our rabbi said, no, you, you don't understand. When, when P- Jewish people find Maim Chaim, they don't just dabble with it. They actually jump in it. And so this is what we did, literally. We went like this. <laughs> And we, we jumped. We all jumped in that stream of living water. And my prayer, my blessing, is as you come out of here, that you won't just like dabble with God. That you won't just kind of dip your toe and dip your hands in. But you will go to Him. And every time you, you find a, a stream of living water, whether you go up to your cottage, you will do the biggest belly flop and say, God, in the same manner that I am in this water right now, I want you and I want you to affect more, all of my life. May you go in Jesus' name.